Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for the Tech Guy is provided by Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is my Tech Guy podcast. This show originally aired on the Premier Radio Networks on uh, Sunday, May 15th, 2011. This is episode 770. Enjoy. Well, a good day to you. How are you today? Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. It's time to talk about computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, home theater, all the, you know, the gadgets, shiny objects, the G-Jaws that are occupying our lives these days. Only this show is about how to use them, make your life better, to change the world, how to choose them, you know, if you haven't bought one, how to abuse them if you want to hack them. And if you're done with it, how to, how to lose it, too. We could do that, too. 8888-ASK-LEO is the number. 888-827-5536. Toll free from anywhere in the U.S. of A. If you're outside the U.S., you can use Skype out to call because that's a toll-free number. It won't cost you anything. 888-827-5536. Interesting how the... Uh, I, I this probably hasn't leaked out into the uh, into the real world, but the tech journalist world is all up in arms over uh, Facebook hiring a big PR firm, Burstyn Marsteller, to slime Google, kind of secretly slime Google, and uh, every, all the tech journalists are highly affronted. I guess uh, Facebook tried to get uh, place. Uh, posts on blogs, ghost-written posts on blogs, saying, oh, forget privacy concerns with Facebook. It's Google we should all be looking out for, et cetera, et cetera. And this has become the big story about Facebook, and I think it's really kind of a shame because it is not, in my opinion, the big story about Facebook. In fact, Facebook couldn't have timed this better. It's almost a magician's misdirection. Pay no attention to this privacy issue over here. Facebook's been bad. But nobody really cares if Facebook hires a PR firm to slime Google. It almost seems like business as usual, doesn't it? Really. This is why the mainstream press hasn't picked this up, doesn't care. But there is a bigger story, and the tech press is ignoring it. And I'm not going to ignore it. Yeah, okay, so I'll say this. Facebook, bad. Should not hire a public relations firm to slime a competitor. <laughs> Big deal. It is business as usual. They just got caught. The bigger issue is that for the last, mm, I don't know, four or five years, Facebook has been leaking your profile information to all and sundry. I guess that shouldn't be a surprise either. How many times have I said you should treat anything you put on the Internet, including Facebook, a place where you you know, are promised privacy, you should treat it as public. I tell my kids this. I tell teenagers this when I speak to them. Treat everything on the Internet, including Facebook, as public. Turns out Facebook has had a horrendous bug for years. <laughs> Facebook's saying, oh, it's no big deal. We have no evidence of a problem, blah, blah, blah. We're going to fix it, even though there's no problem, blah, blah, blah. A horrendous bug that for years has not only been leaking your personal information, everything on your profile page, 
private pictures, private posts, who your friends are, everything you do on Facebook. Not only to the applications that you install on Facebook, that's kind of been known, but the applications inadvertently leak it out to the real world as well. Your token, your Facebook token, the thing that allows them to get access to this information has been inadvertently being uh, given away, spread. And it's good forever, by the way. There are some tokens that are only good for a couple of hours. That's what Facebook's saying. Oh, no, most tokens are only good for a couple of hours. And yet hundreds of millions are good for forever and are out there. And the only way to protect your privacy going forward from anybody who might have that token is to change your password. Now, Robert in our chat room is saying, I run no applications on Facebook. And a lot of people say that. Oh, I don't use Apple. I don't play Farmville. I don't... Well, maybe you do. Have you ever authorized... Uh... A, uh, an iPhone app to use Facebook or the iPhone itself to use Facebook, that's an application. If you've ever said, you've ever logged into Facebook through another application for any reason whatsoever, that, that's exactly how it happens. That's, that counts. So you may not think, you may think, well, I'm not playing Farmville. But it's any time you authorize Facebook to any third party. That information then allows them and inadvertently them and their partners to see everything on your page. So just so you know. And the only way to do to fix this is to change your password. Probably a good idea. And I, I have to think that Facebook, because they're really downplaying this, their, their defense is, oh, well, that would be a violation of terms of service. <laughs> like that's going to stop these guys. Oh, it says right here in the fine print you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, that'll work. That's their defense. Oh, and they're going to fix it. But really what they would like you to do is look over here. See this thing that we did? It was terrible with the, with the public relations firm and we slimed Google. It is interesting that what they did is they, uh, they got blog posts to say, oh, the, forget Facebook privacy issues. What about Google privacy issues? Aren't those worse? And that plays into everybody's fears. Facebook says it wasn't a smear campaign. <laughs> well, what was it? I think that I'm much more concerned about Facebook leaking my information. You know, I deleted my Facebook account about a year ago. And uh, unfortunately, I can't cover Facebook. I can't talk about Facebook without having a Facebook account. But, uh, but uh, so I'm, I'm back on it. But I do, I do uh, treat it as if it's a public blog, a public posting. You probably should too. It's interesting. Both my son and my daughter in the last two days realized that people were seeing what was on their Facebook page. Shock. Facebook keeps changing these privacy settings, and so people don't know. My daughter called me yesterday. My son asked two days ago, completely independently, how do I make my profile private? They assumed, as, as I think probably many of you assume, that it is private, that it's just kind of automatically private, and it's not. In fact, Facebook really wants it to be more public because the more public it is, uh, the easier it is for them to sell information and make money. You know, their future depends on it being more public. So here's what you do. You go to your Facebook page. You go to the account button. This is what I told my daughter last night on the right. And you go to account se uh, privacy settings. I'm sorry, privacy settings. Now, Facebook kind of makes it easy because you see where it says sharing on Facebook, they have these, these big buttons. These settings control who can see what you share. And there's an everyone, friends of friends, friends only, recommended, which is kind of a hybrid, and custom. 
Now, as a, as a kind of discipline for myself, I chose custom and I made everything visible to everyone. Explicitly. Just to remind me, there's nothing private. But if you want to be a little more protected, you might click that friends only button, but that's not enough. That's not enough. Because then you need to go into customize settings and look at all of these additional settings. There's tons of them, all of which you might want to consider. My wife wanted a Facebook page so she could check up on our kids. <laughs> and she said, people keep sending me pictures on Facebook, but I don't want old boyfriends to follow me. I don't want them to find me. So you can go in here, and I did this for her, and customize the settings so that everything is friends only. And then I said, and honey, don't make any friends. No friends. No friends for you. So make everything friends only. If you have friends, only your friends will be able to see it. Now, it's important to remember, though, that applications that you sign up for, you agree to, still have access to all that. And it turns out they can leak that to other parties. So I would still assume, no matter what you set these for, that if you put something on Facebook, if you put something on the Internet anywhere, it can be seen or will be seen or has a chance of being seen by friends, family members, teachers, future employers, college boards, and everything else. Just keep, This is my message to you. If you put it on the Internet, it's public, no matter what you do. Good news for people who use the Sony PlayStation Network. They got it up last night, and, it's, and I think it's still up. They had closed it down due to a, due to a huge uh, security breach that uh, released information about hundreds, uh, no, I'm sorry, millions of uh, users, including perhaps credit card information to bad guys. We'll never know. Uh, they took it down until they could fix it. They did fix it, so it's back up if you're a PlayStation 3 user. Your call's next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. taking a picture with a tablet, isn't it? <laughs> Leo Laporte, the tech guy, playing with his uh, Samsung Galaxy Tab 10.1. Google uh, handed these out uh, at the Google I.O. conference this week in San Francisco. It's a Google developer conference. And Google's trying to encourage people to write applications uh, for not only Google phones, but this new whole category of tablets. They really would love to compete with iPad. And you've heard me say many times, um, that I don't think there's going to be a tablet this year that will compete with iPad 2. iPad and Apple really kind of dominate this market, not just because of the hardware, but because of the rich application ecosystem that Apple has and the kind of the end-to-end setup where you can buy music, buy applications, t- rent TV and movies, all from the iPad, but also from your computer. You can play it on your Apple TV. I mean, it's just it's all kind of this seamless thing. But I have to say, this is pretty impressive. This is... Uh, Samsung's latest. It will be go on sale January, uh, June sixth, and uh, same exact pricing as the uh, iPad two, four ninety nine for a uh, sixteen gig Wi Fi version. Interesting though, it's a little thinner and a little lighter than the iPad two. Has better battery life because it's a little bit bigger. Instead of the ten twenty four by seven sixty eight screen, 
Samsung's made it a widescreen, a 16 by 9 screen at 1280 by 800. So it's actually higher, more pixels. And that extra space means you can put more battery in there. It's a fast processor. It's a NVIDIA Tegra 2, which I think is completely competitive with Apple's A5 processor. A better camera. Apple put a terrible camera in their iPad 2. This has a 3 megapixel camera on the back and a uh, around a 2 megapixel camera on the front. Much better than the cameras that Apple put on theirs. Still a little funky, a little weird to take a picture with a tablet, isn't it? It looks like you're holding up a clipboard to take a picture. Uh, nevertheless, really great for editing pictures or, or messing with pictures. I think the real, the, the missing piece of these, these Google tablets, this particular tablet is really, truly, at least with the hardware, superior to the iPad 2, in my opinion. It's the software, and it's the ecosystem. Uh, I love Android. You know I'm an Android fan. I use an Android phone. But this honeycomb version of Android designed for tablets, boy, is sure not ready for prime time. Google even admitted that. And they said they're going to release an update to that in the next couple of weeks, 3.1. Also, there are very few applications that take advantage of the the real estate. And that's kind of a problem. I mean, if if you're going to use a tablet, you want applications. And and, and Apple's done a great job with this, that fill up the tablet uh, screen and use all that real estate to good advantage. There are only, I don't know, maybe a few dozen apps that do that. This is the I'm showing uh, for folks watching uh, at home. I'm showing the, <laughs> for those of you watching the radio at home, I'm showing the Kindle app, which does do a nice job. Amazon's, boy, Amazon's smart. They just, they say, well, we'll just put the Kindle everywhere. On every, on every tablet. Uh, Google's apps, of course, use the real estate. In fact, the Gmail app's great. The Maps app's uh, great. Uh, there are a few others, but most of the apps including the Facebook app, Foursquare, things like that. Just, you know, they just stretch out. They spread themselves out over the uh, widescreen. It just kind of looks funky. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to stand by what I said, I think. If you're going to buy a tablet, at least for the next six months, you're going to buy an iPad 2. You're going to want an iPad 2. But you might, you might watch carefully. And if you're a big Android fan, I would watch carefully the Android space. And I have to say, I'm surprised at how quickly Samsung came up with hardware that is every bit as good as an iPad 2. If Google can up, upgrade the software sufficiently to make it really, you know, sing, and if and if app developers start doing tablet apps, which I suspect they will, yeah, it's only going to be a few months before this is competitive with Apple. And whether you're an Apple fan or not, that's great news because it means that Apple will be challenged. And I hope they respond uh, by competing instead of litigating. And unfortunately... Their response to Samsung's Galaxy phones, the Android phones, was to sue them, saying, you copied us. And, uh, yeah, I understand. That's When you when you have a whole building full of lawyers, which Apple does, that's the kind of thing that happens. But I'd sure like to see Apple, instead of saying, you copied us, make something better. Keep keep Stay ahead. This is a challenge to make something better. Keep making something better. They're doing it on the on the tablet. They really are. I think you could argue that the Android phones have caught up, however, with the iPhone. They're close enough. I use an Android phone. I'm very happy with it. Uh, after long, long iPhone use. I think it's great. We get the, ch- the choice is always good, right? We don't want to live in a world where there's only one flavor, vanilla. As much as you might like vanilla. I used to have a little chocolate once in a while. Richard in Chicago, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Richard. Hi, Leo. Uh... Thanks for taking my call. I'm a big fan. I've been listening for quite a long time. Um, Thank you. I purchased an Android phone, um, a Thunderbolt. And yeah, that's a nice phone. That's the, the Verizon uh, 
phone, the Thunderbolt. Big 4.3-inch screen. Yeah, it's real great. Uh, battery is... haven't had too many problems. They recently pushed a, an update Verizon the other day, and that seems to have made it worse. I guess they're looking into that. Uh, that's my biggest uh, uh, complaint about almost all of these Android phones. The Apple iPhone, uh, because it doesn't... Ha- mostly because it doesn't have a replaceable battery. Uh can put more battery in there. They don't have to package the battery. And so they get more battery life on the iPhone. It's not a lot more, but an hour or two more, when you're just barely making it through the day as it is, that's a, that's enough. And the iPhones do have a little bit more juice. Uh, Android, I think, also, it strikes me, uh, there are applications on the Android that, that continue to run and continue to eat battery life. Every once in a while, I feel like there's something, because my, my phone will get hot. And it's like, there's something running. What's going on? Yeah, my Thunderbolt will do that sometimes. You know, it's yeah. Warm. yeah. Yeah, that's uh, to me, if it's warm, that's battery power being wasted. Yes. In any event, in any event, what can I uh, do to help you? A uh, quick question. Um, I have security, like a location app, because you said this is actually replacing a Droid X that got lost in a cab in New York, and it was unrecovered. <laughs> That's, I hope it. I hope it's near my Droid X, which also got lost in a cab in New York. I bet there's a whole bunch of Droid Xs in a box somewhere. Yeah, I have a friend in Brooklyn who actually got into a cab, and he said the driver actually tried to offer him a hot phone. I guess. A- oh yeah, can you imagine how many phones get left in cabs in New York City? Uh, yeah, they called. I called the TLC in New York because they had no. Forget it. No. Uh, they could. Yeah, they got all the. No, forget it. Yeah, it's yeah. gone. The guy, I called him. They said, file a police report. I've lost two phones in cabs in New York. <laughs> and probably a Kindle or two. I can't even remember. I lose so much. I, I think I just leave a little trail of electronic goodies behind me. Yeah, it was frustrating. Yeah, it was actually a gift from my employer because um, I was working in New York temporarily. And uh, that made it even worse. Cause it was- oh, yeah, yeah. But um, I had a question. I the location app I sent the I mobile defense. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, I was running that on it, and I sent a white command to it, and uh, hopefully that excellent. Was- Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I love that. Once I knew it was gone, um, but uh, but everything I had a pin code on it and everything else. But I was wondering, um, friends of mine and I have been going back and forth. And I hear you talking about Windows, and of course, I, I run Windows 7, I have antivirus. But is it, do you think you need an antivirus program for an Android device? Some people say it's not necessary as long as you know what you're doing. And you're- I think all smartphones are the next big target. Uh, but right now, uh, you know, there have been problems with Android phones, mostly with malware apps in the uh, marketplace, which are removed quickly and uh, disabled. Let me talk about mobile security when we come back. Also, Scott Wilkinson, home theater guru ahead. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
Mark Zuckerberg theme song. Would I lie to you? <laughs> Me? Mark Zuckerberg? Never. This portion of the Tech Guy Show brought to you by my internet service provider, DSL Extreme, for high-speed internet at an amazing price. Call 866, the number two. Get net to get DSL Extreme. Annie Lennox in the Eurythmics. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. Hey, that voice. That uh, basso profundo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, baby. It's not Barry White. <laughs> Scott Wilkinson, editor-in-chief of the Ultimate AV Magazine, ultimateavmag.com, and a columnist for the Home Theater Magazine, uh, a hometheatermag.com. He's also available to you uh, via email. Scott at techguylabs.com joins us every week to answer questions from our audience. I like this last one uh, that you were talking about. Uh, is can an HDTV be as good as your old TV? <laughs> what? Yeah, I got I got this question, and it's very interesting. Um, uh, from Dave Butler in San Jose, who asks, uh, "Can the better LCD, LED, or plasma high def TVs equal the picture quality of the Sony uh, KD thirty four XBR nine sixty, which is an old CRT TV? Was it an H? TV. It was high def. Okay, yeah, it was." Um, but, and of course it's no longer made, hasn't been for years, but it's still revered. Yes. And, and rightly so because CRT TVs, that old technology, the big tube one thing that was that big, yeah, ginormous thing in your house, a ginormous thing in your house produced stunning picture quality. Really, really good. Uh, The blacks were gorgeous, really deep and dark. Uh, Shadow detail was excellent. Colors were gorgeous. Um, it, it just, it's what flat panels are chasing after all these years later. They're still chasing that picture quality. Is that really? Yeah. The only one I can say for sure that even came close is the Pioneer Kuro, which you have one. I have one. Uh, those of you who are out there fortunate enough to have gotten one before Pioneer went out of business, uh, not out Pioneer didn't go out of business, but they went out of the TV business. They exited the TV business. Uh, and you know, the remaining stock was out there in the field. And those of you who got one, congratulations, because <laughs> it was the one, uh, flat panel TV that really rivaled CRT. Leo, you got one. I got yeah, one. I, and I do. Did. I do love it. Yeah. You know, but they, why did they exit the TV business? Cause it was too expensive to make that high quality a TV. Yeah. And that TV was expensive as you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but and and, people and, don't really know the difference. Well, I I suppose a lot of people don't know the difference. Certainly, if you put it right next to each other, you'd notice the difference. But But the vast majority of people couldn't tell. uh, Well, again, if if they had the opportunity to see them next to each other, I think the vast majority of people would be able to tell. But but the most but the vast majority of people don't have that opportunity. Right. Now, you might say, well, sure, go to a go to a store and you could put them right next to each other and see them side by side. Well, yes. But as I've said many times. The store environment is not a good place to evaluate the picture quality of a TV. For one thing, there's a ton of lights on. You know, it's a store. It's a it's a giant uh, place with lots of Klieg lights. You know, they want things to be bright and shiny. And so the manufacturers tune their TVs, adjust their TVs so that they look as good as possible in that environment. But that's not the environment most of us live in. So when you get buy a TV at a store and you look at this wall OTVs and you say, oh, I like that one because it's the brightest. 
and they say fine and they bring one out from the from the warehouse and you pay for it and you take it home you take it out of the box you put it uh, on your stand in your room which doesn't have giant Klieg lights overhead uh, and you turn it on and then you have to put on sunglasses because they adjust the manufacturers adjust all their TVs to look good in the showroom because right. they don't know which which TV the store is going to grab out of their stock and put on the showroom floor so they make them all look like that so that's why I always say and I've said on this show many times to um, go into the menu and go to the picture mode and select movie or cinema, which is going to make it look a lot better in the home environment. But even at that, we don't have yet, except for a few isolated cases like Kuro, uh, flat panels that have really the equal picture quality to the old CRT. The advantage of flat panels, of course, is that they're lightweight, they're thin they don't take up half the room uh so that's that's really the advantage and you know they're chasing that picture quality each year they get a little better and a little better but uh uh generally speaking they're not quite there yet very good actually that's it's interesting but that was a very good tv and it was an hd tv most of the tvs that you have watched in the past are not Mm -hmm. comparable that's right yeah that's exactly right yeah so uh, uh, Terry uh, asks, um, he notices that there are some speakers that end up and, and other kinds of products that, that have the ne- the term reference in their name, mm-hmm. you know, like reference speakers. And, and he wonders, what exactly does that mean? Is it a standard or is it just hype? <laughs> and the answer is, well, there's no there's no standard called reference. It, it really is. <laughs> It really is more hype than anything else. Um, I think manufacturers use this term and they apply it to their flagship product, their very best product. And they say, this is the reference as far as our products are concerned against which our other products and the products of everybody else, by the way, uh, should be measured or judged. And so the, the answer really is no, there's no standard called reference, but People use that term to refer to their flagship product, uh, their products that, um, you know, are the best that they can possibly do and to which everything else needs to get referenced. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Tom Becker was listening to the podcast last week, uh, my podcast, on which John Iverson was talking about um, media streaming. And we were talking a little bit about data caps. You've talked about data caps on the show. Oh. So depressed. It's such a depressing depressing. subject. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And more and more uh, ISPs are imposing these data caps. And John Iverson said that he, as far as he knew, if you exceeded your data cap, uh, that they would start charging you more, just like a cell phone, right? You you have a certain number of minutes typically on a Mm -hmm, cell phone. mm -hmm. And if you exceed that number of minutes, they start charging you an arm and a leg for every additional minute. No, it's not like that. Well, in some cases, apparently not, because uh, Tom Becker writes in and says, Comcast disconnects your service. They warn you a bunch of times, but I do know people who uh, were just cut off and said, you know, you're a bandwidth hog. We'll uh, we'll talk to you later. Oh, man. So, um, you know, these all we've talked about this before. These these bandwidth uh, caps for most people won't impact them yet. But the point is, these companies well, are being proactive about the day when we all start watching our TV over the Internet. Which more and more people are starting yeah, to do. Comcast, what? Comcast doesn't want you to do that because they try to sell you HBO. 
Right. <laughs> they make more money selling you HBO than letting you watch HBO over the Internet. Mm hmm. I wonder if if when if and when they will start selling you HBO over the Internet. Well, they are. HBO has a product called HBO Go and HBO is kind of cagey. They're kind of smart. Yeah. So they, you know, they obviously don't want to uh, injure their relationships with the cable companies. They're still dependent on them. So they require you to sign into the HBO app, which is available on Android and iPhone with your cable company login. So if you're a Comcast customer, you'll sign in with your Xfinity login, guaranteeing, first of all, that you are a, an HBO subscriber, but also that Comcast gets to, you know, get their little two cents in there. They charge, you know, H, they, they they pay HBO. Anyway, it's a complicated relationship, but they, yeah, they, they yeah. pay HBO for each subscriber. HBO gets its money through, through Comcast for HBO Go. But I think the day will come. Well, look at Hulu, where you pay eight bucks a month and yep. you get and you don't have to use the cable company. You use their inexpensive bandwidth instead of their pricey cable connection. Exactly right. Scott Wilkinson, editor-in-chief of The Ultimate AV Magazine. Scott at TechGuyLabs.com. And don't forget his podcast, Home Theater Geeks, Mondays, 1.30 Pacific at live.twit.tv. We'll see you next week. Thank Bye-bye, you so Scott. much. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, 8888-ASK-LEO. We were talking about smartphone security, and I, I'm so glad, Richard, you could hang on. Richard from uh, Chicago is on the line. And, uh, you, you know, it's interesting because uh, we hear all about security problems on Windows. We're starting to hear about security problems on Macintosh. And I just keep waiting for us to hear about security problems on smartphones. They are a sitting duck. If you think about how you use your smartphone, everything's on there. And there's all sorts of ways for bad guys to make money off your smartphone. Sending text messages for $25. You know, there are numbers you can text that you'll get billed 25 bucks for. Uh, making, you know, purchases through your credit cards because most of us have our cards kind of tied into the phone. Making long-distance phone calls for free. There's a lot of reasons why somebody might want to get into your smartphone. And yet the number of attacks on smartphones are surprisingly small. There, that's, there's two reasons for that. One, smartphone manufacturers, uh, whether it's BlackBerry, they, they were the kings of this, Apple or uh, Google. Um, are, and, and of course, now you have to include HP with WebOS and Nokia with their operating systems, have paid a lot of attention to security. They know that it's a problem. And there have been problems with things like Bluetooth snarfing in the past, where people get onto your phone via Bluetooth, things like that. So they've really sandboxed these phones. Apple and and BlackBerry, I think, do the best job of securing these phones. Android is not as secure because uh, they have kind of an open marketplace. So what we've seen in the past is kind of junky programs, you know, wallpaper programs that have spyware built into them. Not particularly effective spyware. It's usually discovered almost right away. The programs are pulled from the Android marketplace instantly, and the websites that they send information back to are usually disabled. So you know, these are kind of minor threats. We haven't seen a really bad outbreak yet. Doesn't mean it won't happen, Richard. 
So you said uh, you used a program called Mobile Defense, which is a security program. There's another that's free, by the way, and uh, there's another one that I like called Lookout. I had issues with that one. So I what happened? What happened? It couldn't determine what phone I was using, which might not have been a big thing. But then it couldn't find. Uh, this was on the old X, and it couldn't find. Um, I tested the GPS on it, and it thought even with GPS on, uh, Mobile Defense knew where I was spot on, but. Uh, lookout thought it was like two miles away, so yeah. it, it was trying. It was going off. The, if I were to guess, it's probably a permissions issue because uh, you know each program has to be told yes, you can use the GPS. It, if it's two miles away, it was using the uh, the cell tower for location. Yeah, uh, mobile defense is des- is designed um, uh, as uh, it looks like is designed as much as uh, to erase the phone and find the phone as anything. Lookout is an antivirus, basically. Oh, yeah. You think uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's hard to it's hard to measure the effectiveness of an antivirus when there really aren't any attacks out there. Right. Yeah. Because I didn't know if they shouldn't. How much process power? You know, My experience you know, with Lookout has been fine, and it doesn't use much. Although um, I just I never did get around to putting it on my newest Android phone. I think your best bet, and as always, and this is true on on, on computers too, is to kind of modify your behavior be careful about what files you what programs you install try to install programs from uh you know reliable sources don't fall for the babes wallpaper program right yeah you know one thing hackers don't do is put a lot of energy into these programs they're going to be junky programs to begin with because they want to that's not where they're you know so they're not going to make a a fantastic game and then put spyware in it so I think if in a, by the way, this is one of the reasons I'm thrilled that Amazon is doing a web store for um, Android, because presumably Amazon is putting effort into, you know, the same kind of effort Apple puts into its app store, into uh, its uh, Android app store, which means they're looking at apps, they're approving apps. There's no guarantee, by the way. In fact, it's already happened on the, on the iPhone that just because Apple looks at a program means that they'll detect all the problems. Bad, bad software has snuck through on the iPhone as well. Because you know, if you how long, how many programs are uh, are uploaded to the uh, Apple Store every day? How many people do they have looking at these programs? How much of the time do they spend? I guess it's just a few minutes, and mostly they're looking for things like violating Apple's terms of service with regard to duplicating programs Apple puts on the phone, things like that. Security is probably a low fourth or fifth. You know, they probably check. Well, what data is it looking at? What is it sending out? If you're a clever app writer, I'm sure you can get around these Apple restrictions. The the real problem is you don't you'd have to put some energy into writing the app. So they're gonna they're not gonna Apple iPhone is not gonna get attacked. Android's so much easier to attack. So if having an Android phone, I think we have to be a little bit careful. I would run Lookout. I would. I don't know if it's incompatible with mobile defense, but if it's not, I'd run both. Yeah, I was gonna wonder if I should run both. I'd try it. I haven't tried it myself. Um, the, neither of these. Pre- the, the way multitasking works on all these smartphones, nothing runs always in the background. It, it will start up and, and shut down. Um, it, 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 for instance, Lookout will only run when you start installing software. Then it goes, oh, let me look at that first. So it's not going to sit there all the time. That's one of the problems. You know, antiviruses on PCs are constantly running, scanning emails, scanning the hard drive, watching for activity. Um, on a PC, you've got enough horsepower to do that, but not on a phone. Because that's what I was wondering. I'm thinking about a Windows where it's always running. You know, your Android. Right. Yeah, I don't know. They can't do that on Android. They don't do that on Android. 
Uh, Android, the way the way all smartphone systems are set up, multitasking is really not. It's not exactly multitasking. Programs hibernate in the background, but they don't use up uh, resources. I you know I don't know what the answer is, Richard. It's a very good question. That's why I kept you on the line because I think it's something we'll be paying attention to. Certainly, you should. You know, the minute there are major issues on a phone, I'm going to let you know. Uh, but right now, my recommendation is these are free programs. Put them on there. It doesn't hurt. Uh, unless you notice there's an issue, then take it off. More importantly is be very careful about what you install. Don't just install any old program you see. Look at reviews. Make sure it's worthwhile. Don't fall for the you know cheap wallpaper app. Um, and uh, I think that that's probably the best thing. It's, it's the best thing to do on a, on a desktop too, right? Just, uh, be careful about who you get software from. There's no substitute for, uh, you know, your brain, your, your own cynicism and suspicion. This is one place where it's okay to be suspicious, paranoid, and cynical. Hey, and one other thing I might want you to do. We're going to get to a, another call in just a minute. In fact, it uh, uh, looks like Robert's on the line from San Ramon with a Mac virus. Oh, I got to hear about this. But before we do, I want to talk about backing up with our friends from Carbonite. It's backup done right for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's automatic. You don't have to think about it. It just you put it on your system, Mac or Windows, and boom, it's backing up whenever you're on the Internet without slowing your system down, without tying up your Internet connection. But even better, now your data is always available on the cloud. You can log into your Carbonite account from anywhere, even your smartphone, and there's your stuff. So it's cloud storage plus backup. It, you encrypted so you don't have to worry if you're on you know on an open Wi-Fi access spot. Nobody's gonna be able to see your data. You can even further encrypt it if you don't if you want complete privacy. And it's unlimited backup. All the personal data on your internal drive for just five bucks a month, fifty nine dollars a year. Try it free for two weeks. Will you? Carbonite.com. Use the offer code Leo. Now there is no excuse for not being backed up. Carbonite.com. Offer code Leo. If you decide to buy, use my name Leo, and you'll get two months free, fourteen months on the twelve month subscription. You got to back it up to get it back. So do it right with Carbonite. Carbonite.com. Offer code Leo. Robert San Ramon, California, listening on the great KGO in San Francisco. Hi, Robert. Hi, Leo. Uh, I I have got the virus on the Mac Mini. Uh, I called you uh, about a month ago with this. <laughs> you still have it. Still have it. I've been uh, to the Apple Store twice. What did they say? They said, hmm, yeah, that's interesting. We don't have the tools to fix it. Really? Apple, was it Mac uh, Defender? Was it Mac Defender? Mac Defender? What did the virus do? Oh, it, it, I think it's a worm because, uh, well, we found, Nod32 found uh, four Trojan horses. But then after that was all clear, uh, I had the machine running, and all of a sudden it opened up Entourage all by itself. And I don't run Entourage. Oh, yeah, that's a little scary. Yeah. And that's what I've been trying to tell everybody. It's like I'm going, I got something. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, there's really only one thing to do, Mac or Windows. If you, if, if, if you could disinfect, but as you could see, it doesn't guarantee everything's gone. Right. You got the Mac disk. One of the nice things about a Mac, you have the reinstall disks. I would pull your data off, put it on an external drive so you have it right there, and reinstall. And don't do the install in place. You're going to wipe the drive and start over again, reinstall your apps, and then restore your data. It's the only safe thing to do. Um, there aren't that many Mac viruses. There's only uh, there's only two attacks I know of. One's called Mac Defender, 
and it really requires you to install some software, give it your administrative password and all that stuff. And the other one's a kit, a virus kit that's going around, neither of which are very widespread. So this might have been targeted. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. More calls to come. He is the tech guy, and we're talking about uh, technology and a lot of scary stuff, privacy violations, security violations, but we can talk about the good stuff, too, how you change the world with technology. It's all part of the, it's all grist for the mill, as they say. 8888-ASK-LEO, that's the phone number if you want to talk about it, 888-827-5536, toll free from anywhere in the U.S. You know, the easiest way to get the phone number, just go to our website techguylabs.com it's in big letters right on the front there techguylabs.com somebody just did an analysis of Microsoft's stock price shareholder value and came up with an interesting number ever since Steve Ballmer became CEO you know when Bill Gates left the value of Microsoft has decreased by 56% wow I've been wondering for a while, you know, we talk about this, we have a show called Windows Weekly, where we talk about the trouble at Microsoft and why Microsoft, which was so dominant in the 90s, has kind of faded away as a, as a company. I mean, if they still make a lot of money, they, you know, far more people use Windows than any other operating system in the world. And yet, for some reason, not only is their stock price depressed, they just can't seem to get a grip. They create products that don't make money. They've lost $700 million online in the online uh, business uh, division. Over the last few years. And now they spent $8.5 billion for something they already had. $8.5 billion for Skype. But Microsoft already has all the capabilities of Skype. In fact, I guess the only reason you could say they might want Skype is for the customer base. But what do they really get? I mean, look, do you use Skype? All right, if Microsoft buys Skype and tries to transition you to Microsoft Messenger... And that video, are you going to use that? No. You, you can't buy. We're not, we're not for sale. Uh, the, and this is something that's become more and more obvious. People who use technology aren't loyal. If a better search engine comes along, bye-bye, Google. Problem is, you got to make a better search engine. If a better voice uh, over the Internet product comes along, something better than Skype, we'll use that. And if Microsoft tries to transition people who are using Skype to their own product, I wonder, will everybody move? Eight and a half billion dollars. One theory about this, this is from uh, Robert X. Cringely. His theory is it's a defensive ploy. Microsoft was so afraid that Google would buy Skype that they overpaid for it just to keep it out of the hands of Google. This is a sign that the technology industry is a mature business. We We no longer put all our energies into making better stuff making cooler stuff, making products people want. 
We spend our time in courtrooms suing competitors as Apple is suing Samsung, as everybody seems to be suing everybody else, and buying companies to put them out of business. Twitter just did the same thing. There's a Twitter client that a lot of people like, I really like, called TweetDeck. Have you seen that? Have you used that? It's a great client. You can use it on a, a computer. You can use it on your smartphone. Uh, many people like it. It has, I think, a, a large percentage, maybe 8 or 9% of the Twitter uh, posts are come from TweetDeck. It's a big, big, big group. Well, there's a company uh, in, in Southern California called Uber Media that's been buying Twitter clients. This is actually kind of clever. They bought uh, Twidroid, which is the number one client on Android. They bought three or four clients. They tried to buy TweetDeck. Because if they could put all these clients together, they, would, they could get into maybe 10, 15, 20% of all the tweets posted would be going through them. And they made a strategic mistake because they then said, and if we could just do that, we could start our own Twitter. So let's say you use TweetDeck, and you could use Twitter, or you could use Uber Media's better Twitter. Maybe they give you 240 characters, or you know they make it easier to use, or for whatever reason, you use both, and they could slowly wean you off of Twitter. It was a real threat to Twitter. So what did Twitter do? They doubled the offer from 20 million to 40 million for TweetDeck, undercut Uber Media, but now they're just going to put it out of its misery. That's it. 40 million to the guys who created it, and bye bye. And all they did was really do this defensively to keep Uber Media from competing. Interesting. That's that's a sign. I think you're in a mature industry. You start doing things like that. It's not good for us. It really isn't. Um, as users, choice is good for us. Dominant, you know, a dominant company like Twitter putting competitors out of business by buying them is not good for us. This week, Google announced its own music initiative. Now we have Amazon's cloud service. You buy a a song on Amazon, they'll store it for you. You can even upload your own music to the Amazon cloud, up to 20 gigabytes. So Google's response, they didn't sue them. They competed. They created the Google Cloud service. And instead of 20 gigabytes of storage, you could put 20,000 titles up there. Look at your music library. Do you have 20,000 songs? Probably not. I thought I had a big music library. I only have about 8,000 songs. And I've uploaded them all. And now I can play them anytime I want on my Android phone, on my Android tablet. All my music is there. And I can stream it from Google's service for free right now. Now, this is not available to the public. They just, uh, this is a closed beta. You have to get an invite. But uh, I'm pretty impressed by it. They, and what's interesting is Google's not selling music. They're just storing it for you. Interesting. I'll be, I'll be curious to see how the record industry responds. What, is, what does the record industry usually do when they you know, feel under attack? They sue! <laughs> so I think we'll be in court sometime soon with Google. And Google's music. They're already complaining about Amazon's music. They say they don't have a license to do that. But I, I have to say, from a point of view of a user, this thing's fantastic. All I don't have to use any storage on my uh, on my phone at all to play any song that's in my collection. It took me a couple of days. <laughs> you know, it's funny because the truth is you really shouldn't have to upload the whole song. Google stores all these songs. They really shouldn't have to. Uh, remember about 10 years ago, there was a company called mp3.com, and the idea was you'd, you'd stick your CD, your music CD, in the, in the drawer of your computer. They'd look at it, say, yep, you own it, and then they'd flip a switch, and now your storage on mp3.com would include that CD. You don't have to rip it. You don't have to upload it. It just says, well, you already own it. What happened? No, Universal Music sued him out of business. Actually, this was another case of uh, using the lawyers to... Uh, do yourself some good. 
Universal Vivendi sued MP3.com. They didn't. They didn't end up in court. I think they settled, but it depressed the stock price of MP3.com to such a low price that Universal Vivendi bought them. They sued them. They killed the stock price. Then they bought them. <laughs> oh, I tell you. And and as a result, unfortunately, ten years later, we're sitting here, and we can't do that, which would be a very nice thing to do. We can't just say, "Oh, yeah, I see. I own the CD." So just turn on the storage. No, we have to upload each song. Use a horrendous amount of bandwidth. Uh, really for for no real purpose, just to avoid a lawsuit. 8888 Ask Leo. Graham is in Long Beach. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Graham. Hey, Leo. How's it going? It's well. Going well. How are you? Fine, sir. Fine. I've been a listener since day one. Leo, I got a problem. Uh, uh, I've been getting these cranked phone calls uh, from all over the United States, and the numbers are saved on my phone. When I call the numbers back, uh, they either don't answer or they have this thing of, your business is important to us. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. You know, the truth is those numbers that you see on the caller ID can even be spoofed. They may not even be real numbers. These guys are spammers. It's illegal to do what they're doing. I've been getting calls and texts on my cell phone. You know, if it's a legitimate telemarketer, and I do this all the time, you say, thank you for your call, but please put me on your do not call list. And federal regulations require that they do so and not call you back. But but these guys are not legitimate marketers. Those are fake phone numbers. They're not even calling from the U.S. in most cases. They're calling from Asia or India, right? They need to get a life. They need to get a life, but there's nothing we can do about it. It's like spam. It's it, What it is is it's spam leaking over into our phones. It's one thing calling a home home number, uh, you know, and, and annoying you and interrupting dinner. It's a it's another thing entirely calling a cell phone where it's actually using cell phone minutes. It could cost you money to get these phone calls, and yet I don't know how we fight it because they're just like spammers spoofing their number. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Sorry, I didn't get that cat fight you're going around in the background. Is a uh, there's so many great videos on YouTube. You can spend your whole life looking at YouTube as a Russian kitty cat. Apparently, likes uh, his cigarettes so much he's fighting off any attempt to get it away from him. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Yeah, I admit it. I watch YouTube during the breaks only because the chat room sent me a link. If you want to visit our chat room, we'd love you to. Just go to our website, Tech Guy Labs. Dot com. There's a link to the video, the chat, the old shows, the show notes. James DeRuvo writing those all down there. TechGuyLabs.com. My phone number, 888-827-5536. Let's get back to the phones. And uh, Mary is on the line from Apple Valley, California. Hi, Mary. Hi, Leo. Welcome to the show. What can I do for you today? Thank you. Um, I used to be able to listen to online radio about one and a half years ago, but ever since then, when I go to a website and try to listen to some part of a radio broadcast, now I always get this message, oops, you either don't have Flash or you need to update your Flash to a higher version. 
Yeah. Heard you warn others. Now don't download it without telling you this kind of message. Good for you, Mary. You're paying attention. Yes, I am. So I have repeatedly gone over and over to Adobe.com, and I download the latest version of Flash from there. And each time it loads, and it seems to be successful, and then I try to listen to the online radio station or a portion of it, and then it says the same message. Oops, you either don't have Flash or you need to update to a higher version. And I go around and around. <laughs> yeah, you're in a circle there. So let me ask you a couple of questions. What, what uh, computer are you using and what version of Windows are you using, I guess is what I should ask. Well, it's the, I'm using an HP DV6000 laptop from, that I bought in 2007, and the Windows version is Windows Vista. Uh, the, Vista, the okay. Service Pack 2. Service Pack 2. And you, uh, okay, Service Pack 2. So you're, are you keeping it up to date? Do you do run Windows Update? Do you, what version of, I presume you're using Internet Explorer? Yes, I am. Okay. And yes, I do the updates every week. Good, 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 good. Uh, what I would do is, first of all, uh, download the Flash installer that a uh, standalone. Don't try to do it from within the browser. If you go to flash.com on the right, you'll see a button. I'm, you've been there many times. I won't have to tell you this. That says, get Adobe Flash Player. Um, now, what you should do is there'll be a link that you could just download it, a file, just like you would install an application. Now, by the way, this is safe because you're going to adobe.com. You know you're on adobe.com, so this is safe. You're right that there, there are bad guys who try to get you to install their software by pretending to be Flash. But if you go by hand to adobe.com, you know you're getting it from Adobe. Right, and I've done that over and over. Uh, if you want to get the standalone, go to get.adobe.com slash, I'll put this link in the show notes, slash flash player slash other versions, and you'll be able to download, you'll be able to select your operating system, Vista. You'll be able to select your your, brow, your browser type, Internet Explorer or others. I'd download both. Now, the next step is, and this is really important, close your browser. Oh, okay. Yeah, and this is sometimes flash... Uh, doesn't the in in browser install doesn't work very well because the browser is still open and Flash gets confused. Remember, it's adding uh, to uh, capabilities to the browser. Sometimes it's hard for it to do that when the browser is running. So close your browser, okay. and that's why I want you to, to get the standalone Flash. Run that, then reopen your browser. Maybe even want to restart your machine, then reopen your browser. Yeah, I do that too. Yeah. I mean, the other uh, the other possibility, uh, Chrome, which is the Google browser, has Flash built in. So if you go to uh, Google.com slash Chrome and get that browser, I actually like it as a better browser. It's a little more secure as well. Try that. That has Flash built in. You don't have to install a plugin, and it keeps Flash up to date automatically. Okay. Can you go to YouTube and watch a YouTube video? Do I go to YouTube? Can you? Well, I'm just wondering if there's other sites with, with Flash that you can use. No, but it, as I said, it used to be able to do that. So it's not just radio stations. No flash is working anywhere. There is, a, there is a known problem also um, with 64-bit Windows and 64-bit Internet Explorer. I don't think you're using the 64-bit version, but flash does not work in the 64-bit version. You need to use 32-bit flash Right. and 32-bit Explorer. It says on my computer that I have an AMD Turion 64 times. I don't know what that means. That's the that's the chip. Below that, if when you right right click on my computer and say uh, 
properties, select properties. Below that, it should say what version of Windows. It should say whether you have a 32-bit or a 64-bit version of Vista running. Okay, and that matters. Well, if you're running 64-bit Vista, you want to make sure to run... There are two versions of Internet Explorer. There's a 32-bit and a 64-bit, and you need to run the 32-bit version of Internet Explorer. I presume that's the browser you're using. I'm sure that it must be. Yeah. I would get Chrome. I like Chrome so much better anyway. See if it works in Chrome. That would that will absolutely solve the flash problem. If it still doesn't work, it may be you have a security program on your system. Sometimes security programs get very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And it may be stopping it. Do you have a security program running? Yes, um because of what you've been saying through your yeah. Listening, I've got Good. set smart security for. Good. Yeah, that that could also be preventing flash from playing because flash is in fact a security issue. Um, if you're not using the latest version of Flash, you are actually at a little bit of a risk. So my suggestion would be to um, try Chrome, see if that works. If it doesn't, then you're going to want to go into the settings for ESET's security manager and uh, make sure that Flash is enabled, is allowed. Oh, okay. The other thing you can do is not use Flash at all. Most radio stations, well, not all, but many radio stations will allow you to uh, listen to them without using Flash, using Internet radio software, um, iHeartRadio, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to iHeartRadio.com, I don't know, does it use Flash? I can't remember. Uh, there are 750 stations, including the station you're listening to this show on, uh, on there. They also have mobile apps if you have a smartphone. But I would, I would get Chrome and see if that works, Mary. Okay, thank you. I will try that. Thank you. I'm sorry it's so hard to listen to a radio show. It's You know, we're really still in the infancy of all this, aren't we? It, it's just beginning. And still many problems. Getting to do simple things. It's too bad because the computer industry kind of promises you, oh, this is anybody can do this. And maybe not. Which is one of the reasons why iPads are selling like hotcakes. It is easier doesn't have flash for one thing doug in san diego leo laporte the tech guy hi doug hey there leo uh i just have a quick question about uh using and uh, shooting pictures and loading them up into lightroom and you know a lot of these companies uh camera companies offer to shoot in raw i know adobe's come out with a dng file for a digital negative for right. archival purposes uh right so-called. Is there an advantage to not using uh, the... So a little a little definition here. RAW is available in higher-end cameras, some point-and-shoot in all digital SLRs. It's it's essentially just a dump of the, the RAW data that the chip in the camera is getting without any processing. Pros use that file. They want that file. But there are different versions of RAW. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll tell you what raw is and why you might want to use it and what format to use. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
This portion of the Tech Guy Show is brought to you by my internet service provider, DSL Extreme. For high-speed internet at an amazing price, call 866-2-GET-NET to get DSL Extreme. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, talking about computers, the internet, cell phones, digital photography, and more. In fact, we're talking digital photography with Doug in San Diego right now. Doug is a... Are you a serious... Obviously, a pretty serious photographer, right? If you shoot... Oh, we lost him. All right. Well, he's shooting in a format called RAW. You know, most of the time when you use your point-and-shoot camera, uh, it takes something... A a file format called JPEG, uh, which is uh, compressed, fairly heavily compressed. So uh, the nice thing about JPEGs is those file sizes are fairly small. That's why they're compressed. And uh, everybody can look at them. It's kind of a well-known standard. So every computer, every phone, everything can see and read and, and look at a JPEG. But if you really care about getting the most quality out of your digital camera, the higher-end digital cameras allow you to shoot RAW. As I mentioned, that's just a without any compression, the full data dump from the CMOS processor in the camera, every every bit of information that it gathered from the scene you're taking a picture of. Uh, unfortunately, with RAW, you have to process it before you can look at it. Also, unfortunately, every camera has a different format for RAW. In fact, even within a single manufacturer, sometimes there are multiple RAW file formats. So you have to use a program like Dan does, uh, Adobe Lightroom, um, Apple's Aperture, uh, Picasa, uh, iPhoto. You have to use a program to read in the RAW file, interpret it, and render it on the screen. In fact, even create a JPEG out of it so that you can see it. Uh, however, when you shoot in RAW, there is there is an advantage because you're shooting it in a format that you can, after the fact, change a lot of the attributes. You get all the quality. So most pros use RAW. I, You know, Adobe has been pushing this kind of standard RAW format called DNG because there are so many different RAW file formats. Canon has one. Nikon, actually, Canon has several. Nikon has several. Panasonic has several. Uh, but I have to say that... Uh, so far, anyway, there's not been a problem reading those files. If you think you're going to keep, you know, almost any program can read every form of RAW because they're all similar enough. But, uh, you know, I, I actually, uh, Lightroom has a feature that says when you import this, make a DNG out of it. And I actually do that because I do, I am concerned about, you know, 10 years, 20 years from now being able to read these files. JPEG certainly will be legible. And that's another reason I upload photos to SmugMug or Flickr because those JPEG images that you're uploading there, at least you, you'll be able to read those probably forever, right? Um, but there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to read that unique raw file format from a Canon 5D Mark I uh, for the next 20 years. So convert it to DNG if you've got the time. I think it's probably a good idea. It, it certainly will make it more accessible. It's, it's kind of, a, think of it as insurance. Bill in Newport Beach, California. You've been patient, Bill. Thanks for hanging on. Hi, Leo. How are you? I'm great. I'm a first-time caller, long-time listener. Go all the way back to your TV show. Wow. Well, that's that's great. Yeah, you know, it, uh, this week was the 13th anniversary of the uh, of the beginning of Tech TV. Actually, it was ZDTV. Launched May 11th, 1998. Well, it was a great show. Really enjoyable for us. Uh, the Thank you. These at the time, particularly. I- I love doing it, and every once in a while, I'll, well, actually, it's more more than every once in a while, almost several times a week, I'll run into somebody in their 20s who said, I became a geek because I grew up watching you. <laughs> I, f- I feel pretty good about that. 
I got This isn't the reason I called, but I was listening to the show yesterday, and the one fellow called in about Nod 32, and he had some issues with it. I want to tell you, I bought it for everybody in my office a couple of years ago. We haven't had one issue, but we do listen to the to the the guru of all times when you <laughs> don't download anything. Well, and so it, it was an interesting issue, and and it is a problem because you can put an antivirus on your system. Remember our last caller who couldn't run Flash. She was running Nod32, and she was running their security software. And sometimes security software can be overzealous. In that, in, I think maybe in her case it was keeping her from running Flash. Um, this guy was saying, well, why didn't the security software stop me from installing this Trojan horse program? Well, the problem is security software, if it starts, if it starts to block your installing programs, you're going to get pretty angry. <laughs> So it's a fine balance, you know. It will look at the program you're installing. If it knows about it, and if it says, oh, yeah, this 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 looks like a bad program, I'm not going to let you install it. In some cases, that'll work. But it can't block all installations. So no matter what software you're running, no matter what kind of security you're running, it still behooves you to be careful about what you install because no software is going to block installations. That would just drive you nuts. Well, with a little common sense, I think it's one of the best programs I've ever used. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I would say that, except I don't want people to feel bad if they fall for this, because these guys are pretty tricky. They're pretty clever. They make it look like a Microsoft warning. They even say they are Microsoft. That's what happened to the guy yesterday. It said, oh, no, you need the Microsoft Advanced Module. <laughs> the, uh, there's a Mac Defender program that says it's the Apple Security uh, Suite. There is no Apple Security Suite, but unless you know that, you're going to believe it. So it, it common sense will get you so far, but really what you really need is a deep-rooted paranoia. I think <laughs> from listening to you. <laughs> I don't want to scare people away from using computers or the Internet. These things are the best thing that ever happened, but it's good to be cynical. Good to be a little paranoid. My question for you is um, I'm leaving for an extensive trip to Europe in, in, on June 1st, and uh, in the past, I'm a PC guy. I, I could never make the transition to Apple, although I bought Apple for everybody else in the family. Um, but I I, um, I used to have um, one of those little, um, there was a series of, of uh, Sony notebooks a few years ago. Uh, one was a six-inch screen. One was about an eight- or ten-inch screen. Uh, the, were they the Clias? I can't remember. Yeah, those were great. The Vio Picture Book, I think. Vio, the Picture Book, yeah. They were great, but they finally died on me. And so I was out looking uh, to replace it for this trip. Uh, I don't need a full-blown laptop. I've already got one that I use here. But I was looking at the Toshiba Mini Netbook NB255, N250, or Acer has one. And then I was doing a, uh, uh, I was doing a, I was doing some research, and all of a sudden I thought, well, maybe I ought to go for the iPad 2 with a keyboard. Um, but I don't think iPad yet has the Windows programs like Word and Excel, I can live No, they have their own version, though. There's, It's called iWork. There's pages and numbers. But you can't open a, an Excel file. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you sure can. Oh, well, oh yeah. Well, I know, I know you, I know I've listened to your comments about the iPad, too. Uh, do you think that'd be just for wireless, uh, you know, internet connections while traveling? Is that... it's, it's really hard to say. It kind of depends on your usage. I mean, look at there's, the nice thing about an iPad is there's no notebooks that, that is that light or thin. Mm -hmm. um, and so I know a lot of people who travel with iPads instead of notebooks. Even the even that little Sony 
wasn't this light and thin. No, not at all. Uh, and 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 are very happy with it. You can browse. You could do email. I wouldn't want to do a lot of word processing or spreadsheeting, but you could certainly read documents. Minimal. Uh, the trip would be fine. Yeah. Be able to read my Kindle books on uh, on the iPad. That's great. Yep. And boy, you're not going to get lighter weight than that. In fact, I might not even bring the keyboard unless you're going to be doing an awful lot of typing. Well, I find it fairly easy. The problem is, how, you know, it may not suit you. I don't know. You know, so, uh, Google's making these Chromebooks, which are basically netbooks, uh, because uh, some people want a real keyboard. Apple makes the MacBook Air because some people want a real keyboard. I tend to use the Air, you know, given the choice uh, over the iPad, but uh, that's me. Uh, and it really depends on your use. I would say go to, um, if you can, go to a store that sells the iPad and play with it as long as they'll let you. Okay. And see if, you know, do the things you would be doing. Email yourself, for instance, an Excel spreadsheet or a Microsoft Word document. Okay. And then, uh, you know, you'll, you know, if you can find a friend with it, uh, it'll be easier. And, uh, and see how, uh, how it works for you. I think an iPad, in many cases, is all you need. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. More calls right after this. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number. 888-827-5536. Let's go to Gina in Vacaville, California. Hi, Gina. Leo Laporte here. Hi, Leo. This is Gina. Hey, Gina. (laughs) Hey, I'm calling from my high school graduate grandson a gift for him. Aw. I know. Six or seven hundred dollars and... um, he has a PS3 and a Droid, a Motorola, I think. His dad has an iPod, and he doesn't want one. He he does not want an iPad, okay? Because that's I think that's the perfect college graduate gift. Yeah, and this. But is, he doesn't want one. No, he doesn't want one, and he ha, he doesn't want a reader like the Kindle, although he loves to read. He doesn't use his camera as much, so that's not an option. I was going to suggest that that'd be another one, a digital camera, but he's not interested in that either. Huh? No, and he's kind of into graphic arts, and he plays the Warcraft, and um, I think he buys time at GameStop or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then he would like, what he would like is an Alienware desktop computer. And I would- Oh, yeah. <laughs> A little more than the $700 budget. <laughs> yeah, I built the minimum model, and it was over $2,000. Yeah. Can- Alienware's uh, Dell owns them, and they're really uh, designed for gamers, uh, and they're way overpriced. Uh, they're, they're, they have high-end components designed for gaming, but even for the components that they have, you're really paying for the brand. They're the Apple, in effect, the Apple of uh, gaming computers. Oh. Uh, they're nice. They're beautiful. They look cool. But, yeah, they're, that's not going to be 700 bucks. Well, he, um, he told me that there was, there was less expensive models for around yeah. $700. You're being so generous, Gina. I mean, $700 is a lot of money for a graduation gift. Well, it's not just me. It's a, a family's pooling, pooling our money together to try to get him something special. This is a turnaround situation. He almost didn't make it. 
Oh, that's great. Yeah. So well, we're, don't give him any gaming stuff. It's going to make it harder for him in college. Oh, <laughs> that was. Is he going to take this to college? What is he going to do with it? Well, I was I was wondering, does this does this gaming computer is it good for college too? Oh yeah, I mean all it's all it's a PC. Yeah, okay. it's just an over it's an overpriced PC. Okay. But I I think I would not give a gaming computer to a kid heading off for college. Well, <laughs> That's he's just asking actually- for trouble. And going to the community college. Yeah, I know. So I have you got any ideas for someone with this kind of taste? That- <laughs> He's got champagne taste. Yeah, I'm kind of stumped. Yeah. Um, the truth is that $700, you can get a decent PC for 700 bucks. that would even, frankly, uh, play you know World of Warcraft without any problem. That's the one um, plays a lot. Yeah. Uh, how about a laptop? I mean, he's going for graphic design, uh, maybe a, a Mac laptop, but that's still going to be out of the price range. But he doesn't want a laptop. <laughs> he doesn't. Oh, chat room suggesting, this is not a bad idea, a, a tablet. You know, if you're doing graphic design, uh, they, uh, not, I don't mean a tablet like an iPad. I mean a, a, um, a drawing tablet. Uh, that sometimes that's a that's a lot of graphic designers. Instead of using a mouse, they'll use a stylus on a. It looks like a, you know it's about the size and shape of an iPad, but they draw on the screen, and then instead of a mouse, it uh, it's a graphics tablet. It draws on the uh, computer. That would be a good gift, and uh, and you know a little less than seven hundred bucks, but in that price range, you can give him uh, a computer. But I'm a, I I fear that if he says I want an Alienware and you give him a Dell. Yeah. He's going to say, well, that's not what I want. Right. He, he's, he's a great kid, and he would accept it graciously, but it, you're right. It wouldn't be what he would want, you know, what he really wanted. And, and he's done so well to turn around this situation. Isn't that great? That we want to. Oh, I, I could totally, yeah, I, I totally see you want to acknowledge him for his hard work. Yeah. And, and encourage him to go on to community college, you know. Right. So, and study graphics. I mean, I think that's a great skill. Yeah, he, he's he's good at drawing, and he took um, um, photography and arts, and he also took construction trade skills. And I was thinking about plumbing, so I don't know. <laughs> he probably wants to make a living. Yeah, yeah. I don't blame him <laughs> nowadays. Tablet. What would that be? Um, Wacom. W a c o m makes very good ones. Um, you could go, the other thing to do is go to Dell.com and they have a refurbished outlet. I think it's Dell.com slash outlet where the same computers are um, available. You know, what happens is when a computer company sells a computer, as soon as the box is opened, it cannot be resold as new. So if somebody gets a computer and says, ah, that's not what I want and sends it back, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it can't be resold as new. So they put it in their refurb outlet store. And you often get great deals because these are current models, but they're hundreds of dollars off because somebody opened the box. Oh. So I'd go to Dell.com slash outlet and take a look there. Okay. And see, see what you can get. Um, they, they, they have some pretty good stuff. There might be an all-in-one desktop there that, look, he, he's asking for a, a $2,000 computer. But if you give him a beautiful all-in-one desktop that uh, would be great for school, that he could watch movies on, that he can, you know, World of Warcraft will play on any of these. World of Warcraft is not very demanding. 
Um, I would say this is a good place to go. Dell.com slash outlet. You're going to get the best deal there. These are good computers. It's the same company that makes Alienware. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. I like Dell computers, too. I've had I'm very happy with them. I've ne- I've always loved them. Get something that looks kind of sexy, like they're all-in-ones. Uh, and, you know, you can pretend it's like an Alienware. <laughs> is an all-in-one. Yeah, that's called the Inspiron One. It looks like an iMac. Let me just see what prices they have on these. I'm just browsing around myself in the refurb store here. These are nice, good-looking machines. Be very suitable for doing the kind of work that he wants to do. Yeah, here's one for six hundred for five seventy nine. Wow. Uh five eighty nine. It's an Athlon two, Windows seven, seven hundred fifty gig hard drive. That's a big hard drive, four gigs of RAM. This is a nice system. And it looks kind of cool. You can kind of you make out that you got well, the alienware, you know, this is the same company. Yeah. This is close. Okay. Well close is good. Yeah, I think he'd be very happy with these and they're very cool looking. Perfect for college, I think. Yeah, because he's telling me, oh, Grandma, you know, there's less expensive ones out there. He said, I just gave you the top of the line. Yeah, he sure did. <laughs> <laughs> so you, nice try. <laughs> hey, but you, know, you don't blame him. He's going to ask for the best. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, and no reason not to, you know. Yeah, and I think that given your budget, I think the Dell uh, Outlet Store is a great place to go. Get an Inspiron 1. Uh, they have there. Uh, there looks looks like some really nice deals here. Six hundred dollars to eight hundred dollars, right in your price range. Shipping is free. Oh wow! Uh, and these are nice, nice, fast computers, and they'll be great for World of Warcraft. And big screens. It's okay. exactly the kind of thing I would I would get a kid for college. And it, and it comes with the screen and all that, huh? Yeah, that's what's nice about these. There, the screen is the computer. They look like those iMacs where everything's all in, all on the screen. Oh, I think my cousin just got an HP. Where the yeah, HP does them too, but I like the Dells a little bit better. Yeah. Does you can touch it? You could, uh, yeah. Um, uh, sometimes the big box stores sell Dells. They might have these. Oh, okay. Well, I love you. Oh, I listen to you all the time. Thank you, Gina. Last Christmas, I got my 12-year-old uh, be- grandson the beginner's programmer book you recommended, and he loved it. Is he is he learning a program? Well, he, he, it's a little bit over his head, but he played with it, and he got some of it, enough of it, so that That's he wrote great. some code, and he doubted That's great. He told me the other day he was thinking that maybe he would want to be an architect, and I go, wow. I go, keep up on that math, then. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Programming is good for that, actually. It teaches you logic, teaches you math, teaches you um, thinking, Yeah, which is a very good skill to have. Yeah, and then recently you guided me to how how to get my Windows the free antivirus protection, and that was just wonderful. Thank you so Good. much. Good. Well, Gina, I really appreciate the call, and congratulate your grandson for me. Okay, I, I will. Know, high school's tough. It's a tough... I have one kid who's in college now, one kid who's still navigating those very difficult waters of high school. He's a sophomore. And I and I know, I know exactly what you mean when you say he pulled it out. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, his parents are going through a divorce, so that was part of it. That rocks the boat a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, he really yeah. done well. And- well, Grandma's more important now. <laughs> Grandma's got a job to do. I think this this Inspiron one is a great choice. It's exactly in your budget, and I think he'd be very happy. And I'm looking six hundred bucks terabyte drive. You want to get four gigs of RAM. Okay. And uh, the Athlon X2, get the fastest one they offer. There's a variety of speeds. Um, you know, it's interesting. They're all over the place in terms of specs. But go to dell.com slash outlet. That's where you're going to get the best deal. 
Okay, and the fastest one would be what? What's that? Price? We'll just look at the processor speed. Okay. Bigger, bigger numbers better. Thank you, Gina. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Good day to you, Leo Laporte here, the Tech Kai Hour 3 of the Tech Kai Show, where we talk about computers and technology and all the things that are changing in this little world of ours. 8888-ASK-LEO is the phone number if you've got a question or a comment or a suggestion. 888-827-5536. Toll free from anywhere in the U.S. Outside the U.S., you could just use Skype to uh, Skype out. 8888-ASK-LEO. The uh, feds were investigating Google, saying Google was profiting from rogue pharmacy ads, illegal out-of-the-country uh, pharmacy ads. Um, Google and other search sites have placed those ads for many years. They started blocking them in early 2010 because it's illegal for U.S. citizens to buy drugs overseas. Prescription drugs overseas. You know what drugs we're talking about. Those little blue pills. I think that's probably 99% of it. Google, however, when they blocked the international ads uh, in 2010, did make an exception for Canadian pharmacies licensed by uh, the Canadian government. But U.S. authorities still were upset, still investigated. Still prosecuted, and Google is expected to have to pay a fine of $500 million. Half a billion dollars. Google said in uh, February 2010 that it will only take ads from U.S. pharmacies accredited by the National, accredited by the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy. And from online pharmacies in Canada, accredited by the Canadian International Pharmacy Association. You know, it's not, it's interesting. It is not illegal to go to Canada and get a drug, but you can't import drugs into the U.S. from Canada. Although, according to uh, this article on Wired.com by Ryan Single, federal officials mostly turn a blind eye to drugs that are imported from Canada and rarely will prosecute individuals. People order drugs from Canada because they're cheaper. It saves money. There is, of course, a risk because uh, you may be ordering drugs from Canada and they actually come from India or China or some other uh, overseas country where uh, the drugs are not well made or maybe aren't even what you thought you were getting. Google uh, apparently profited from ads, and that's why they're going to pay the $500 million. I have to wonder, though, if this this reminds me very much of uh, the online poker site ban of a few weeks ago. 
where U.S. interests don't like the fact that money from Americans is going to overseas gambling. They want to keep it in the U.S., and so they lobby law enforcement to basically protect their interests. Is law enforcement really interested in protecting our health, or are they more interested in protecting U.S. pharma? Half a billion dollars. Where does that money go? Half a billion dollars. The FDA and Rhode Island's Attorney General. That's where the money goes. Have you ever ordered uh, drugs online from Canada? A Canadian pharmacy? A legitimate Canadian pharmacy? Because they're cheaper? Should that be illegal? It is. 8888-ASK-LEO. Vicky is in Rialto, California, our next caller. Hi, Vicky. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Howdy. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing great. What can I do for you? Well, I am going to be going on an Alaskan cruise in a couple of weeks, and I ordered a camera online, and I'll be getting it in a couple of days. Woohoo! How exciting! Yes, I am so excited. Uh, I, I, you know, I... The last time I talked to you, I was ordering a camera about seven years ago, so it's time for another Wow, it's time for a new one. I helped you buy the last one, huh? Yeah, right. So anyhow, uh, I bought a Nikon Coolpix S9100, which is the new camera that came out with the 18x zoom lens. Yeah. I'm, you know, I need to buy some memory for it, and I really don't know what I'm doing. It says it takes a SD, SDHC, SDHC. Right. And then there's ratings of them and this and that, and um, it only has an internal memory of 74 megabytes, so, uh, you know. Well, you have to buy a card, and nowadays the cameras don't come with memory, or if they do, it's a very small amount. You want to get at least 4 gigs, you probably will end up getting 8, 16, maybe even 32. I don't like getting cards that are too big, because if a card fails, that means, you know, if you, <laughs> if you have a 32 gig card, and you have thousands of photos on that card, and then it fails, you're going to be very unhappy. right. So a smaller card kind of makes you offload them. Pardon me? Something like that. Two eights. Yeah, two eights would be good. That's exactly. Most pros will have uh, four or five cards uh, because the last thing, you know, you're out there looking at a glacier and you can't get back to uh, the cruise and you don't want to, you know, the penguins come out and you have four pictures left. You're not going to be happy. That's right. It's always, <laughs> it's always nice. But I, I don't know how big those images are on the uh, on the uh, P1000, uh, but I suspect that uh, a 4 gig card will give you hundreds of images. Okay. An 8 gig card, you know. 12 megapixel, but I probably won't do it at that because I don't think I need that. I don't ever print anything that's 20 by 30 or, you know, like that. And I Oh, I would take it at the highest resolution. Storage is cheap. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Storage I have- is cheap cards from my other camera, you know, two gig ones that I could, you know, just, I mean, they're so small, you can just put them in. But what's the best kind? SD, SDHC? Well, all the HC means is high capacity. Okay. So anything over two gigs is an SDHC. Okay. So you will be getting an HDSHC. Then they come in classes, class two, four, six, eight, ten. Right. And each class is faster at reading and writing, but also much more expensive. A class 10 card is a lot more expensive than a class 6 card. I would look in the um, in the in the manual or in the specs for that P100 or P1000. I suspect class 6 is plenty. You probably don't need much faster. Okay, well it says that uh you should have a a rating of 6 or faster recommended for recording movies because it does a a 1080 
for this. Right. The, mo- the high-quality movies, of course, are saving more data faster to the card. So a faster card, <coughs> excuse me, for, uh, for most video, you do want a faster card. You might even want 10x for video. But it's interesting. They say six or higher. So that, that means their minimum is six. And I would say six is fine. Okay. And then the SDHC, is that... Rather That's what you're going to get. You don't have really much choice because okay. it just means you have more storage. Okay, but I should get smaller increments so I can pop one in then. And is there any particular brand? I mean, Sandisk, Toshiba, Sonic, Lexar, there's, you know, I, you know I'm you know i going blind here. I usually get Sandisk. They're all fine. Kensington, Sandisk, they're all fine. I usually get Kensington or Sandisk. The, the pros spend a lot more money. They get Lexar. Uh, because Lexar cards tend to be, in fact, there's another brand, and I can't even remember, it's a, it's a funky brand, I don't even remember the name, that I was told just the other day, we do a photography show uh, by one of our pros, that, oh, I will only buy this brand. Um, I just, you know, I <laughs> uh, I think uh, SanDisk is fine. I think uh, I buy a lot of Transcend cards, PNY. These are, the problem is that sometimes uh, you, uh, these cards fail, and so the pros are willing to spend a lot more money. Hey, they're taking pictures of weddings and stuff. Yeah. You don't want to lose. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to lose the picture of the bride. That would be very embarrassing. <laughs> but I think I think Sandisk, Kingston. Yeah. Or or if, you know, Lexar. And I would look at the prices. I think that uh, you're going to be able to get a class six or faster card for not a whole lot of money. Okay. And yeah. I had a question. I, I, you know, but I did a bunch of research. I had a spreadsheet on all the cameras I wanted and kind of limited, you know, went down and then I got an excellent price on this camera, nearly half price. So I, good job. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was, you know, I could hardly, you know, believe I kept looking. And then the next day after I bought it, that price was back up to normal. So I thought, Oh my God, good job. Yeah. Something right now. I'm, you know, want to have extra batteries because I, you know, I'll be wandering around Alaska and part of Canada. Hold on a second. We're going to take a break. Come back. Hoodman. That's right. That was the name. Thank you, Hudson. Hoodman was the uh, very expensive cards. Never heard of them. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Teleport the tech guy. Vicky's going to Alaska. She's got a great new Nikon camera. She's getting her SD cards. And one of the things I want to kind of underscore this is uh, I recommend it is not getting too big of a card because the temptation then would be to fill it up before you offload it, which means if the card dies, and, and flash cards do die, sometimes just randomly, just like any hard drive, uh, you'll lose more uh, photos. Invest in some fours. Well, fours or eights. I mean, you, it's a balance between convenience and risk. Yeah. Uh, if you know, if you're, if truth is, if you have four or eight, you're probably not going to fill up that card. I would recommend whether you fill it or not every night offloading. Okay. And so what I did on the last cruise, I was on a long cruise. I was uh, I was gone for three weeks, so I you know I took something like six thousand photos in that time. Holy mackerel. Holy mackerel. I'm a little uh, over. I overdo it. <laughs> but it's digital. So who cares? And I and by the way, I shoot the full size. I don't uh, I don't compromise cuz storage is cheap. So what I did is I brought a laptop 
and two external hard drives, not one, but two external USB drives. And every religiously, well, I had to because I forgot and I only brought one memory card with me. I only had one 16 gig card. I left all the rest at home. Oh! So I was forced to every night, but I think this I would have done it anyway, offload that card. So I'd copy that card over to one of the hard drives. I'd import it into Lightroom so I could work with it, but I'd keep I'd keep a copy on that hard drive. And and then at uh, every night I would synchronize drive 1 with drive 2. So now I have two copies if you if you uh, I didn't keep a copy on my laptop. If you keep a copy on your laptop if there's enough room on the hard drive, three copies. And then I would pack each drive in a separate one for carry-on and one for uh, checked luggage. Good idea. Yeah. Now on the cruises, you don't have a lot of bandwidth, so the, the other another good solution would be use Carbonite or something to uh, upload those pictures. But you don't on a cruise; you don't have that luxury. So that's why I always bring extra storage. I have a little netbook that I don't have anything on. It's got 160 gig. Perfect. Yeah, that would be great. Now, I'm I I know that batteries don't last forever, and I would hate to you know like as you say have it go bad when right when something important. I always have a second battery. Now I'm looking at. Not get I well. I'll ask you. The Nikon batteries are really pricey, but I find other ones between Amazon and eBay and that that get the Nikon battery. Get the Nikon, okay. The reason being, you know, there are good third-party batteries, but there are also bad third-party batteries, and a badly made lithium-ion battery can blow up. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's not worth it. The reviews, and if it gets like a five-star review, I figure that must be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, try to figure out who made it and if it's a reliable company. Okay. Uh, I know I know the Nikon batteries are more expensive. I know. I know. Um, sometimes the cheap batteries, they leave out uh, critical circuitry that keeps it from overcharging. An overcharged lithium-ion battery is basically a bomb. Well, okay. So just be really careful. Okay, and then just, uh, this is just a curious question now, since I have to get a Nikon. Um, the... It says 1,050 mAh. I see some that say for the same camera, 900. Some say 1,100 and 1,400. That's, I mean, just that they're available that it'll work in this camera. Yeah, more is better, of course. But if it comes with a 1050, should can that be exceeded? Yes. Oh. It's, the, it's storage capacity, not the amount of power coming out of it. It will always be the same voltage coming out of it. But okay. it's how much capacity the batteries have in milliamp hours. And, uh, yeah, a larger number means you, you can go longer between charges. Okay. Okay, so... so but, I again, I, I, I always buy brand-name batteries because I just... Uh, you could lose the camera. Yeah, and me too. <laughs> and Yeah, you could have a fire in the room. They, You know, I found cruise ships don't really like it very much if you have a fire in your room. <laughs> they, um, they seem to really frown on that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you'll be on there. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, you won't be going back. I, uh, I, we were lucky. I was on a, a cruise, a geek cruise with Waz, Steve Wozniak, and uh, he got invited up to the bridge. And I saw the fire suppression system that they had. This was on a um, Holland America cruise. Amazing fire suppression, and they have in every room. They have not just a smoke detector, but a heat detector, and they can pinpoint exactly if there is any problem in any room, exactly where that room is. An enunciator in on the bridge goes off. They have very highly trained fire teams because, as you can imagine, a ship at sea, a fire is deadly. They cannot allow it to uh, to happen. So if you had a little uh, battery mishap in your room, you'd come back and uh, your everything would be soaked in chemicals 
and water, and there'd be a couple of very unhappy crew members with axes <laughs> waiting for you. You definitely do not want a battery explosion on a cruise ship. <laughs> get It's not worth it. It really isn't. Uh, get a good battery. And I, th- I say get the Nikon battery. I know there are some, you know, they're, they're legitimate companies. Truth is, the Nikon battery is probably made by the same company that makes one of those third-party batteries. The problem is you don't know which one. And you could get the bad one. Hey, let me talk. I was talking about backing up. Let me take a break and talk about Carbonite. Then we'll get on with uh, more calls. John from Santa Ana wants to get some DVD material onto his iPad. I'll help him do that. But before that, let's talk about backup. I mentioned Carbonite. Um, If you were traveling around and you had access to Internet, you know, at Wi-Fi cafes and stuff, Carbonite would be a great solution for photographers. You just you just every time you're online, Carbonite just you know, uses that connection without slowing your system or your online bandwidth down to trickle your data up so it's always backed up. Backup is so important when you're a photographer, when you what just think what's on your hard drive, the precious music or data or financial records, emails, hard drives die. Stuff, you know, gets destroyed, lost, stolen. It's just inevitable. You've got to have a good backup, and there's nothing better than Carbonite. It's online backup, so it's always safe up there in the cloud. It's automatic, so you don't have to think about it. And the neat thing about Carbonite is you don't have to wait for a disaster. Anytime you want to access your data, you can from any computer or even an iPad or a smartphone just by logging onto your Carbonite account, and there's your stuff. It's it's cloud storage plus backup. And the price, you can't beat it, 5 bucks a month. For unlimited backup, all the personal data on your internal drive. $59 a year. In fact, if you use my name, Leo, you'll get 14 months for the price of 12, so it's even more inexpensive. Try it right now. Go to Carbonite.com. Use my name, Leo. You get two weeks free. You don't need a credit card or anything. See how you like it. If you decide you want it, uh, use my name, Leo, again. You'll get 14 months for the price of 12. Carbonite. you got to back it up to get it back. Do this. This is the right thing to do. Carbonite.com. I wish they had the bandwidth on ships to do this. That's why I had to be so, you know, two hard drives and, you know, three copies. And boy, if I could have, I remember on one cruise ship, I burned DVDs and mailed them. You just, you know, if, if you don't want to lose those pictures, you just got to really be careful. And so many people I know, they have it on a card and they just fill up the card and they bring it home. That's, that's my pictures. That's not, no, that's not safe. John and Santa Ana, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, John. Hi, Leo. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So you want to get some movies on your iPad, huh? Yes. Um, so it's a two-step process. The first thing you do is get the m- movie off the DVD mm-hmm. onto a computer. You got to rip it. Right. Uh, uh, Handbrake, which is but that's- Handbrake's the one I recommend. In fact, it has an iPad setting. In order for Handbrake to rip the DVD, though, you have to have another program that's free, also called VLC, okay. a Video Land client from VideoLand.org. I'll put that in the show notes at Tech Guy Labs. You install both of those, rip it, compress it for iPad, and copy it on. Works great. Yourself in another part of the world, and 
And you may find yourself listening to the Tech Guy Show, brought to you by Carbonite.com. you got to back it up to get it back. So do it right. Try it free. No credit card needed. Just my name, Leo, at Carbonite.com. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. We're talking about computers, the Internet, cell phones, camcorders. This has been the day for, the, for, for many callers of frustration, hasn't it? Uh, and I, you know, I, I kind of would like to underscore the fact I have to do this when I, you know, I've, I, in the past I've spoken uh, to uh, schools and teenagers about the dangers of the Internet and their parents about the dangers of the Internet. And the very first thing I say is the Internet is the greatest invention mankind, humankind has ever come up with. This is changing the world. All you have to do is look at what's going on in the Middle East to see that it, 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 it is a huge boon so i don't want people to get the misapprehension that this is somehow a bad thing we've got to protect ourselves in fact that's very dangerous because i'll tell you what there are a lot of people out there people who have businesses based on pre-internet economies like the record industry the movie industry the television industry the cable companies who would love to shut the internet down let's just go back the way it was we don't want people watching Netflix on the internet. We want them to go have to go buy DVDs. These people would love to shut this stuff down, so we cannot give an inch on that. This is good. Don't let them fool you with, well, we've got to shut the internet down for child pornography or whatever it is, because that's not really the issue. If with with reasonable care, it's a completely safe thing to do is get on the internet and you know what it is amazing and our kids need to be on the internet they absolutely do don't don't let stranger danger fear of predators keep your kids offline because i'll tell you what there's a bigger danger when they're 21 trying to get a job and they say i don't know how to use computers good luck they need to know this stuff they also need to know how to protect themselves and keep safe and keep private and all that stuff but in the long run the, the it's a far far more valuable thing than it is a risk. I just want you to be prudent. I don't want to scare you. Dennis from Downey. Dennis, we've been having trouble. You've been dropping off, so we're going to try to get you on here without losing the call. Hi, Dennis. Hi. I appreciate you finally getting through to well, with me. Um, I've been wanting to talk about your um, one of your biggest sponsors now for a week, uh, DSL Extreme. who cool. mm-hmm recommendation, Leo, I hooked up with and have been attempting to hook up with since April 15th. Are you with me? I'm with you. Okay. Um, First of all, in the first week, they couldn't understand that I needed to ship the modem to my mother's address because they couldn't send it to my P.O. box and I wasn't available to pick it up in my apartment. So that took about a week. At the same time, I unhooked a landline for my telephone for Verizon. So I do not have a landline anymore, and I only have my cell phone, which I'm talking to you with now. Oh, there's where you get into trouble, because Verizon, think about this for a second. Verizon sells phone service. They also sell internet service. What they don't like is you getting your internet service from somebody else. What they really don't like... Is exactly what you're doing. You're trying to get what's called dry or bare DSL. In other words, you want data, but you don't want a phone from them. That means you will be paying Verizon nothing and yet riding on the copper that they put into your house because they own that copper, right? They own the phone. 
This is a big problem for all independent internet service providers. It's a huge problem. Uh, the only Think about this. The cable company, when you get internet service from Comcast or Cox or uh, your cable company, is there another company you can get internet service from? No. On their cable? No. Because the cable companies have fought hard and the FCC has allowed them to keep other companies from using their copper. Phone companies tried to do the same thing. And I'm not sure why, but the FCC said, no, no, it's different for the phone companies. I think it's because they've had this copper in for a lot longer. Presumably, they've paid for the copper. So the FCC's told the phone companies all over the country, no, you have to let other companies into your central office with their switches, and you have to let them offer Internet access over your lines. Something they've never allowed the cable companies, never required of the cable companies, but they do require of the phone companies. Well, you can imagine the tension when AT&T or Verizon or whoever your phone company is, is told, no, you've got to let DSL Extreme or another internet, internet service provider in your central office. You have to let them put equipment in there and you have to let them compete with you for access. They don't like it. And they make it very difficult. Now, your issue, Dennis, I, could, I can already tell you're going to have a problem because you've canceled Verizon phone service. They're making not a penny off of you. And now you want to use that copper line that they own to get DSL Extreme. And for all Verizon knows is you'll probably is you'll use Magic Jack or Skype and make phone calls over DSL Extreme's bandwidth over their copper without paying them anything. They don't like that one bit. So I could tell right I could tell you right now it's murder to get DSL if you've discontinued phone service even if you're trying to get it from Verizon. Now you're going to have to negotiate the bureaucratic straits here. I I I uh, don't envy you. Um it, w- so that's problem number 1. Continue on with your story. Um just the, between the tech support and Verizon, I seem to be getting nowhere. They, well, of course not. <laughs> Verizon's not interested. Well, then how do I... They, and they own that copper. Extreme keeps telling me they're going to give me a new reactivation date, and it's been over two weeks now since I've had any... There's, there's very little they can do. I know I've talked to not just DSL Extreme, but many independent internet service providers. If the phone... Co- they, it requires cooperation from Verizon. So do you suggest I call Verizon? Or continue to work with DSL Extreme on this? I don't really know what to do uh, in this case. I'm surprised. You're trying to get bare DSL, dry DSL, which means no phone service. That's right. They're calling a standalone line just for... They don't like it. (laughs) They don't like it. Um, That's what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Because you're not buying phone service from them. (sighs) I don't know how to get this rectified or to fix the issue. Uh, you're going to have, well, I don't know either. I mean, you're going to have this, what, what, the way you could get it rectified is call Verizon and say, I want phone service and I want your internet service. And you watch tomorrow it will work. Well, I prefer to go with <laughs> DSL extreme. And I-, I do too. And, but you can see why it's very difficult. And, uh, um, it, this is, it's murder for these independent internet service providers. And they, I run into this a lot and people blame DSL extreme. And I understand why you do. But I just want to tell you the story from their point of view. They have to get the phone company to cooperate, and it's not in the phone company's interest to cooperate. So they'll go right, you know, up up to the. They're going to rectify it. They're going to rectify it, and I'm getting to the point where I'm going to move on. And I don't know what other services that I could get that would have a problem not uh, with having this standalone line. 
I mean, well, have- you can get it. I mean, you can actually call Verizon and say, I want dry DSL and they'll do it. But you have to. But it's hard. <laughs> it's really tough. OK. OK. Good. Yeah. Does Verizon offer Fios in your neighborhood? Sorry. Does Verizon offer fiber Fios in your neighborhood? Yeah, I you know Verizon was my last carrier, and the reason I uh, quit. I, I would call them about FiOS service. You know what they do, by the way, when they put FiOS in, they cut the copper. They actually cut the line at the curb because they don't want you to use that for anybody else. It's our copper. It's not their copper. It's your copper. It's your house. They cut the copper at the curb. These guys are just murder. I would keep using DSL Extreme and, and, and hope that they can get through. I like using an inter- independent ISP. I don't like dealing with phone companies. Phone companies have this uh, monopoly mentality. It's just tough. But the problem is you have two interlocking companies that don't really like each other anyway. And you're trying to get them. It's the same thing when you go, uh, you have a problem with your Windows computer and Windows. Microsoft says, call the manufacturer and the manufacturer says, call Microsoft. It's, too, it's easy for them to pass the buck. I, you know what? You're gonna get. You're gonna give in. <laughs> I hate to do it, but you're gonna give in, and you're gonna let Verizon win on this one because that's the only way. I think. Either get a phone line from them or, or ask them for FiOS. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, 8888-ASK-LEO. Brian in St. Louis, you're next. Hi, Brian. Hello. Hey, welcome to the show. What can I do for you? Hey, I have a question. I've got um, a Macintosh, um, but for some reason, it's it, it's really slow. I see the, the beach ball more often than I think I should. Yeah, you shouldn't see it at all. <laughs> Especially when the beach I, like, ball is Apple's equivalent of a blue screen of death. A lot of times, does the beach ball go away eventually, or does it come back? Um, it comes back. I mean, a lot. Like if I'm doing something like anything like copy and pasting, or opening a program, or it takes. Yeah, I, that's not normal. There's something wrong. Like twenty times the bounce. I've even went as far as to actually restore the whole system like brand new, and I still have that same issue. Yeah. Um. I would guess it's probably a hard drive that is uh, flaky. Um, one one of the most common reasons for computers to slow down like this is having difficulty reading data from the drive. It'll try and try again and eventually succeed. That's what you're seeing. The beach ball starts spinning as it's trying to read the drive. Eventually it reads it. The beach ball goes away. Um, but usually that means that the data on that sector is hard to read. Okay. Unf- unfortunately, there really isn't. There's a program I recommend on Windows for this called Spinrite. Unfortunately, there's nothing for Mac like Spinrite. I wish there were. There's Disk Warrior. There's Tech Tool. There's a few programs you can run, but they don't do much of a job. There's even a file system check uh, built into OS X. But unfortunately, they don't do the same job Spinrite does, uh, and that's the program that really can fix this. What Spinrite does is it goes through the drive and reads every single sector. And if it has trouble reading a sector, it will move the data off that sector and mark it as bad so it's not used again. 
And it is more determined than the operating system. It doesn't give up as easily. So it might, t- in fact, it can take, I've heard of Spinrite runs taking months. I think that, I think we had one case where it took a year, but it eventually fixed the drive because it just keeps trying until it gets the data off. Now, I wouldn't recommend that unless there's data on your drive that you have to get back. No, I do have a time capsule backup. It's good that you have a backup. The truth, how old is the computer? Um, it'll be a year this July. Oh, it's not very old. Yeah. Uh, Backup, though, is the, some of my... Have you ever used the time capsule? Yeah. Well, some of the, the entries are really... They're grayed out, too, and sometimes it takes a long time for that even... Yeah, I'm not a fan. I'm To be honest, I'm not a fan of um, the, that Mac backup. Time, what is it? Time, time tunnel, whatever they call it. I don't use it. Uh, I would recommend going out, getting... A, it's free, going to download Super Duper. Get an external drive and copy all your data to your drive just to make sure that, you know, if, if your drive is about to die, that you don't lose anything. And then it's under warranty if it's under a year old. Yeah. I'd, I'd bring it to the Apple store and say, dude, put a new drive in there. But they'll tell you, you backed up everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they'll tell you because they won't, they won't back up your data for you. So I would I would say get it get it get get it to the Apple Store. They're very good about this kind of thing. No, it's not normal. You shouldn't be seeing those beach balls. And if you're real close to the one year, here's a little trick. You can buy Apple Care. You can buy Apple Care right up to the last day of your warranty, and it'll extend it for another year. Then you can bring it in. <laughs> if you're right right at the edge of that. Hey, we're going to take a break, come back with more, lots more people, and I'm going to try to get as many as I can. We're in the last few minutes of the show. Super PC on the line from Virginia wants to extend his Wi-Fi all the way to the shed. <laughs> we'll talk about that and uh, and a lot more. But first, I have to remind you about protecting yourself on the Mac, on Windows. Uh, it's You've heard me talk about it before. The great company, ESET, they make a program for Mac now called Cybersecurity for the Mac, really in the nick of time. Now we're starting to see Mac attacks. I think they're going to ramp up, to be honest. Uh, and this is a very nice, very Mac-friendly program that has ESET's very speedy, lightweight antivirus engine in there. There are advanced heuristics that catch virus-like activity even before the definitions are available. You can get it at the Apple Store anywhere, uh, Micro Center, Fry's. And there, it, this is something nice. And I hope they put this into their Windows products. It includes an education component that teaches people what not to do. That would be such a good idea. More and more people are using antiviruses, using Nod32 on Windows. That means more and more hackers are going to be looking to the Mac. Now's the time to protect yourself. Try it free for 30 days. Go to ESET.com slash Mac for a free test drive. And don't forget to like ESET USA on Facebook to stay looped in on contests, special offers, and exclusive content. And you Windows folks, yes, don't forget Nod32 for Windows. Get that free for 30 days at ESET.com slash Leo. Or call 866-935-ESET. If you use, you use Windows or Mac, get the best protection money can buy. Nod32 for Windows. ESET cybersecurity for the Mac. It's just the best. Uh, Super PC in Virginia. Hi, Super PC. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Leo. I thought I wasn't going to get picked up there for a second. but You made it. I know you were on hold yesterday, too, so I'm glad you made it. So, uh, anyways, Leo, I have an Airport Extreme router right now, which we recently got. And we recently also 
lot like kind of a shed. And sometimes I go out there with my laptop to use it. But the problem is I can't pick up any much stick right. very good in the shed. I pick up any, like two bars and it's very, very slow. It's slow in my home area. So there's a, um, there's a uh, technology called WDS, Wireless Distribution System, that is actually a standard designed to extend a Wi-Fi access point. WDS is supported by most routers. It's absolutely supported by Apple's Airport Extreme. But you need to buy another, like it's like a repeater, another router that you will put halfway between the shed and your Airport Extreme. And it's a, it kind of boosts the signal. Uh, and as long as it can get a good signal from the Extreme... Then it repeats it, and you'll get a full power out to the shed. Uh, it's the Airport Express does this. It's about ninety nine bucks. It's a great little device if you're on a Linksys. Linksys makes them. It's usually a good idea to get the repeater made by the same company that made the wireless access point, only because WDS is kind of ill defined, and so that implementations vary for compatibility reasons. Get it from the same company that made your original router. So the Airport Extreme works. I'm gonna ask you a few more things about that. First of all, I'll just give you this. The shed's about 65 feet from my house. I actually measured it. And all fun. Airport stream, like, where is the antenna on it? Where would be the best place to put it near the wall so I can get a signal out to there? Well, it's internal. You just rotate it around a little bit. But uh, it's not so much pointing the antenna because it's an omnidirectional antenna. It's, it's getting it away from, you know, what will stop Wi-Fi is a metal mesh, a screen, a window screen. Bad. Uh, sometimes walls have metal mesh in the walls, especially if it's a lath and plaster wall, there'll be metal mesh to hold the plaster bad. It's, it's what we call a Faraday cage. It actually kills the radio frequency. So you, you got to just try moving it around. How far from the airport extreme to the shed? About, I think probably about 66 or 67 feet. See, that's, that's within the range, you know, Wi-Fi should go around 150 feet, so I think it's interference from the wall. Put it by a window. If the window doesn't have a metal screen and it, put it by a window. That helps. Now, uh, it doesn't go through, you know, walls as well as it goes through air. In fact, really, technically, Wi-Fi is line of sight it's because it's at 2.4 gigahertz. That's a microwave radiation which gets which bounces off of things. So technically, it's best if it's line of sight. So aim it at the shed. And I'll tell you, an air, if you, if, if, I mean, if you're already at the edge of the house, there's nowhere you could put an airport express to extend it. So that's not going to solve it. But if you're not, if the airport extreme isn't as close to the shed as it can get, then you could put an airport express in between the two. That might help. It sounds like it's right at the window, though, which, of course, you can't extend it. That's built into the airport uh, software that Apple provides, by the way. WDS, it even calls it WDS. It says, you know, with the setup, I want to extend the range of a Wi-Fi access point. And it, it's very straightforward. Just click, click, click. Make sure, yeah, that's a good point. Locke's saying in our chat room, make sure you're in N mode on your airport extreme. N goes much farther than B or G. It's good to talk to you, Super PC. Thanks for the call. Thank you all for watching. Don't forget, we put all the information about everything I talk about. Thanks to James DeRuvo. We put it on the website. It's called techguylabs.com. Techguylabs.com. Uh, thanks uh, to Luis Oliveira, who's running the board. Gina Savati on the phones today did a great job. Thanks to you all for being here. Uh, yeah, welcome, Luis. <laughs> You're welcome, Gina. <laughs> and they're talking to me. You can't hear, but they're talking to me. Or either that, I'm hearing voices, which is possible. 
Uh, again, techguylabs.com is the website. And while you're there, check out our podcasts. We do about 20 all week long on the Twit Network. That's the name of my podcast network. There's information there, too, about buying a brick for the Wall of Honor on our new studio. I want to have everybody's name up there in the new studio. Techguylabs.com. I'm Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. Thanks for being here. I'll see you next time. Have a great Geek Week. <laughs>